0: and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to game developers from all walks of life about their personal and professional journeys. I'm your host, Graham Waldrop. As always, our show is presented by Mudstack, the only asset management and collaboration tool custom-built for game studios and digital artists. For more information, head over to mudstack.com. On today's show, we welcome Martin Annandir, CEO of Spagank, Martin has worked as a designer, a teacher, a lead designer, a design director, and now has started his own game studio, and his team is in development on their first title. We discuss Martin's approach to running a studio, game development, and systemic design in all its forms. That's one thing you're going to find out real fast, is that Martin is a huge fan of systemic design, and if you don't know what that is, you certainly will by the end of the episode. Uh, This was a really fun one. This was like having a water cooler conversation. You know, we talk game design, we talk about working with others, we talk about games we like, games we don't, aspects of games that we think don't work, aspects we think that do work, uh, both new and old games alike. This is uh, is a really, really chill, casual conversation, really enjoyed it. Martin's a great guy, I think you're going to like him a lot. And here he is. (laughs) So, Martin, while while we were getting ready here and going through, you know, pre-show audio tests and things like that, you said uh, this is not on my my outline, but you said you're a cynical bastard. Can you describe? <laughs> can you describe to me why that is? Um,
1: I, th- I think if you do anything for a certain amount of time, the, the, a number of bad experiences will outweigh the good experiences. I mean. Or at least that's that's how I see it. <laughs> so that's where the cynical comes from, <laughs> yeah. I suppose.
0: Yeah, no, I can I can relate to that. I think it's it's funny, especially in this uh, in this industry when someone gets started and they're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and then they've been in the trenches for a year or two, and it's just d- demeanor changes. You know, yeah. your shit gets real.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember because I studied I studied game design at at, uh, at a vocational school in Sweden um and and i remember thinking that oh the the non-serious students finally when i get into the industry everyone's going to be awesome and serious and professional and and you know you have this vision of the the industry as a glorious place and i mean it's just people ultimately like you'll you'll find the same kinds of people that you maybe didn't like at school you'll find them in the industry too because it's it's people and sometimes it's personal chemistry sometimes it's something else and um i mean it's just uh, i think that when you grow grow older you sort of learn that that's just the way it is it's not you can't change other people
0: i also think too because i I definitely related to 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 that sentiment about being cynical just because i i I find myself the older i get becoming more cynical towards some things but i also have found that um within that cynicism there can be optimism there can be you can learn from that and be open to things it's a weird sort of juxtaposition i don't know if you've experienced uh, a similar thing or not
1: I, I think that part of the cynicism is, is is a want for change, like you want things to be different. You want to work in different ways, you want to work on different kinds of projects, you want to do maybe, maybe if you're not doing programming, you want to learn programming, you want to change things. I, th- I think that part of cynicism can, can come from maybe even frustration. You're not being, you're not able or enabled to to do those changes. and at least that's that's sort of how it's been for me because I've I've always had very strong opinions and and if you're if you're sort of have strong opinions and you feel that there's no I don't know uh, responses or or even like any
0: avenue for you to actually express them then 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 that causes cynicism. Did Wayne change sort of inspire you to want to start your own company?
1: I think I think I've always wanted to to sort of make my own games. If you if you if you see the difference sort of because I mean I've worked on games, for, I've worked with games for 16 years, but making my own game, that's a different thing. Like like I'm responsible for that instead of being one out of hundreds of people or even one out of 20 people when someone else calls the shots. I mean if if this project fails, it was my fault. <laughs> or or maybe bad luck or whatever it was, but mine in some some way, like creatively. Like even more than that, like working with people you believe in and being part of a thing where you are or you, where you're a central central role, where you have a central role. And I think that's always been a drive for me. Like I've wanted to make certain kinds of projects, uh, certain kinds of work with certain people that I've really liked working with, and and yeah, and then uh, the opportunity sort of presented itself. What was the opportunity? I've been doing a lot of different kinds of things. I've been doing, like, I've been a studio manager, I've been pr- doing programming, I've been a game designer, design director, but a random phone call I received once was was basically like they were asking for a reference for a previous employee, and that basically led to a discussion about what was going to become our current publisher, kind of rave, and um, And Because they were looking for studios and they wanted people to pitch uh, to them uh, before they had started. So I decided to do that with a couple of friends And uh, because we had wanted to start a studio and we had sort of aligning visions of of how games should be made and what kinds of games we wanted to do. Um, And we pitched it and we started in that studio actually a year ago. Um, So December 1st, my my co-founder
0: started and I started January this year. Wow, that's really cool. And what kind of what kind of projects did you guys want to make? What did you align on?
1: So, I mean, my passion has always been uh, systemic game design, like systemic games, because I grew up and played a lot of games in the 90s. And and you had things like Ultima Underworld and Ultima, the Ultimas overall, and you had, of course, Thief, The Dark Project, and, and System Shock, Deus Ex in early 2000 and so on. So, I mean that's the kinds of games I grew up playing and I, I sort of I, I sort of miss that magic and the systemic nature like 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 the team underworld came from a background of, of a company that was making simulations and the, the sort of mentality where everyone was a designer in the team there was not like a specific person with just ideas it was everyone was just part of it and I Having that experience is something I've, I think I've always wanted. I just never had the words to express it before. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, uh, at first it was just me and one programmer. Um, and I was trying to do some programming too, but I realized quickly that he's just so much better than I am. <laughs> so so I, I did other things instead. But but that's that's certainly what I've always wanted to do, Like like build systems and see how they interact and, and invite the player to be a more active part of the project in a way.
0: Do you feel like there's any sort of modern games that do a good job with systemic design? I mean,
1: Minecraft, obviously. Like, like Minecraft mm-hmm. is definitely... And, and Minecraft is also part of why I think it's sort of a current thing to do systemics, because the Minecraft generation is a large chunk of gamers. Like, isn't it the most sold game ever or something like that? It's like, a, it's huge, uh, and all of them will not, of course, play other games later. They, Minecraft is awesome and that's going to be their Legos. But I do think that it opens a lot of people's eyes to systemics. Um, and also sell the breath of the wild. I think is a brilliant example with their chemistry
0: engine. When you guys are first starting out with this project, you guys, when you started the company was like, did you have like, you mentioned there was a pitch, but did you have like, all right, this is the game we're going to make, or was it like, these are a couple of ideas that we have, but we know we're going to be able to make something. In our case, we we pitched kind of a ten year plan. Um, so what we what we how we want to
1: work and and how that sort of could work out over time if we're successful. Um, and I think there was several projects. Like the first project is going to be this. It's going to contain these systems, and then we can take those systems to the next project, and we can keep going. Um, that, like build forward is the is the buzzword version.
0: <laughs> how how do you do that? How do you make a ten year plan? I can't even think of like one in <laughs> one year what I'm gonna do. I mean that's 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 crazy. I mean it's cool. It's amazing that you could do that and have that laid out, but how what's the process of of, of thinking about that and really getting into here's all the things we want to do over the next ten years, here's why this company can be successful.
1: I think I think that basically if you if you look at sort of the most ambitious project you've ever conjured up in your dreams, you know, like sitting and talking to friends or anywhere like you always have this super ambitious game if you if you put that on paper sure just like the the basic systems that it contains it needs characters it needs spaceships it needs whatever it needs and then you break those down and you sort of step back one and and you turn that into a game and and you sort of maybe the the characters that's going to be maybe the one thing you have in every single project you do so maybe you just do a game circling around characters that's your first project And then you will have a very solid foundation character system that you can use for every project going forward. So it's like, it's almost kind of a goal first backwards line of thinking, but, but it's really, it's, it's really focused on systems and how, how, how these complex things gets made because it's always composed of smaller parts, of course.
0: Right. So it's sort of like a a very modular design kind of mindset. Um, where it's like you're creating these systems that can be reused in, in other projects too.
1: Absolutely. And, and it was actually inspired. I don't actually know if this is true, but this is how I was told about it. But rockstar made table tennis, um, which was published game oh, I remember and, that. Every, and everyone was yeah, yeah. sort of surprised, but why would they make a table tennis game? They are the GTA people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. But the reason I was told. Um, the reason was that they wanted to work on the, their animation systems. Um, so they uh, they took a game that was basically just two characters and a, and a board whatever or table I don't know what they call it I'm not a sports person <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. but 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 they, they have their table table t- table tennis obviously so table um, and and uh, just animation like the, it was a super good opportunity to work on that animation system and then they went on and made GTA 4 which obviously uses that even more. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's that that caught me thinking like when i heard about it uh that's that's a brilliant way to work like like have have each project you work on finance something that you want for the next project um and that might be like a smart deployment pipeline it might be a system for animation it might be anything but something so you're always building forward so you're not just making this
0: game and throwing it out and moving forward moving on right That's really smart. I had no idea. Where that's why they made that table tennis game because I remember playing it, and I am a—I a, a, used to be at least before the pandemic—an avid table tennis player. I remember playing it. And I was like, "Yeah, this is pretty fun." But I was like, "Why? Are the, what?" It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty much just ping pong. It's not like a big, like you know, career mode or anything like that. It was just very much. Here's what you can do. You can play by yourself. You can play with another person and have at it. Um, I remember enjoying yeah. it, but that's crazy. That's what they did to get ready for GTA Four. That's no, I mean I,
1: I, that's that's the story I was told, and I, and I mean, it, yeah. If it's true, it's brilliant because it's like then you get yeah, the it publisher, makes sense. you get a publisher to finance your research, and you release a game in the meantime that maybe recoups that investment as well. So it's like right, it's, a it's not that much smart. money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's extremely right. smart. It's it's uh, really it's something I've been thinking about ever since. It's like I hope wow. that we can have be
0: half as smart. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's that's really cool. So, what's been the process like of of getting this thing off the ground and and hiring people? And I think another thing that's always really important, especially in uh, today, is is cultural identity and and the the identity of a studio.
1: Yeah, I mean. We, we have had a kind of hard time because we we, we did hire an additional programmer, um, brilliant person i worked with before, uh, who's helped us build our develop DevOps pipeline automation, basically a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, we also hired a technical artist that's been working with us, but we've had more problems sort of finding art people to work with overall because it's, uh, mm-hmm. because basically everyone, I mean, there's this right, right brain, left brain kind of conflict Um, And I think that I frankly can't talk to artists like I don't I don't understand their language and they don't understand Mm -hmm. me So it's like if you talk about things like say procedural generation or you talk about Systemics or you talk about these things a lot of artists will will sort of feel that they lose control or they will be very reluctant to sort of see it through because they I mean they've seen all these bad examples they they and that's what they know usually um, and I mean, in today you have Midjourney and all these kinds of things that also causes controversy. So it's it's really, for me, it's like I get super excited about these system, these systemic things, but I can't really communicate them to an artist. So for us, it's like mm. the, the art director we're looking for, we need to find someone who, who can own that the way we own the systemic stuff and who gets excited right. about the same things that we do.
0: So what do you think you, you guys need to do? better in, in that search then if you if you're not or just in terms of communication with with potential hires i think i think in a way we need to find someone who sits down with us and
1: says look this is what you need shut up right <laughs> yeah like, i think that's the person we need to an extent yeah. um but but i mean of course maybe we can't find that and maybe we need to be specify things more maybe we need to be maybe we need to define the vision first i don't know but but I've just realized that that's just not a skill I have. It's like, I I don't think in visual ways. So it's, it's, it's been, it's actually been much trickier than I thought it would be. And, uh, and, and it's like, we, we had some great help with some concept art and, and, and things like that in the year, but, but, but finding someone to own that vision, it is hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, that's a really interesting predicament that y'all you find yourselves in I think. I mean it's it's I don't think it's uncommon either. No. Um I know was talking to someone a while ago who had started their own company and also was a programmer and uh he had a hard time finding artists that could really bring what he wanted to life as well. It seems like yeah, it's uh it's one of those things that <laughs> definitely takes longer than you think it will to really find someone to really uh hone that vision
1: yeah and and, i mean otherwise we we have a plan where we don't really want it. we didn't want to ramp up too fast so we didn't want to have more than one extra employee spread out over a certain number of months and we didn't want to like Mm -hmm. we wanted to spend the whole of 2022 prototyping basically and and that's what we've been doing and and we've sort of come up with this i think it's a five step or six step process where first of all you do, do throwaway prototypes uh, which is mm-hmm. like, look, this is how our control scheme could work, for example. And then we discuss that and we implement the thing that makes sense. And then then we do something we call proofing, which is we build a very rough, good enough prototype of a subsystem. Let's say that we, I don't know, uh, like a walk cycle simulator thing, right. let's say. Mm-hmm. Whatever it might be. Uh, and we look at that and if it works, uh, we write a long list of improvements um, and then we move forward to the next one. So we just keep proofing as many systems as possible. Um, but then a lot of programmers get tunnel vision. <laughs> so yeah. so, you, so you, to avoid tunnel vision, you sort of take all those things. And that's the next step is to merge them together and see that they work. And then you keep doing
0: this in cycles. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an overused term, but finding the fun is just so important in, in game design, as you know. And, and like if you don't do that... I don't care how great your art looks if your game sucks. If your <laughs> gameplay sucks, it doesn't really matter. Like it needs to work together, right? The art needs to support game design and and make sense. And art is extremely important. But if your if your game isn't fun to play, it really, who cares? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And I, and I think I think fun to play, interesting to play. Uh, the cool thing with Systemics is that you get, you basically, you ask the player to experiment and ask what if, and try things and do stupid stuff. And, and then you just allow it. That's, that's really what it's about. Like let, letting go of, of the sense of authorship that, that that many other kinds of games uh, thrive on.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, like emergent play is so much fun where that, that, that can happen. Uh, we made this, a lot of people who who I work with now, we made a, a project together, indie title, um, and we had it was sort of like an it was an RPG and it was it was cooperative but it also had a competitive element to it as well. And we had these items and uh, we had this one called a portal. And someone in a play test. Uh, basically changed positions with a player in midair while they were jumping off a cliff and killed them with a the portal. It was like a, it was like uh, they were able to <laughs> switch places like that. We, were like, we had no idea someone could even think about doing that. That's the coolest thing ever. Like I think when people <laughs> find ways to not only really break your design but enhance it with that emergent, yeah. those emergent moments are just priceless. I
1: mean, there were there were whole communities that were basically just shooting the warthog in Halo with a bunch of grenades, like like trying to do a trick. Trick explosions, right? Um, and, and I mean that was just the consequence of one grenade detonating another. Um, but I, but I, I love that stuff. I I, like, I think that yeah, it, it's some of the best some of the best things games can offer is stuff that's was usually not intended.
0: Yeah, Or it's just really unexpected. So I imagine you're not really as as into more uh, cinematic based games, uh, Last of Us. Uncharted, etc., things like that, where it's, it's, uh, there really isn't an emphasis on the the systems as much as, as the story or, or, uh, sort of creating this experience where you, keep, you don't really have a ton of opportunity for, for those, uh, those emergent moments.
1: I, I do play them. And, uh, because I mean, I, I, I do think that some level of, of game literacy is important, especially if you aspire to be a game designer yeah um but but i mean i definitely like like i i think i think so basically look at i look i look at it as a scale between authorship and emergence and you can't Mm -hmm. really have both like you have to choose where on that scale you are (laughs) and and i mean definitely uh, games like the last of us part two is very much on the extreme authorship end like this is this is this is a specific story being told like i even did some experiments when i was playing it because i'm uh, a cynical person, <laughs> like we said, uh, <laughs> right. and, and, and so for example, there's there's a scene where you're where you're. I'm trying. I'm gonna try to avoid spoilers, but there's a scene where where there's two characters fighting, and you're playing one of them. And, and I didn't actually want to fight. Like I felt, hey, I don't want this character oh, yeah. to win. So I just put yeah. down the That's controller. The end, right? And yeah, yeah. exactly, and then and then, and then you mm-hmm. die and checkpoint reload and restart the fight, and you you just have to. Like there's no choice. It's it's like right. Uh, but actually one of my most, one, one of the things that annoyed me the most in recent years, I played the, not Ragnarok, but if I played the, the previous one, the God of War from 2018, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. Because it came out yep. on Steam this year. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's very well presented, super polished game, but there's an early fight against some kind of, I like boulder, is that it? Boulder, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like a long fight. And it's a mm-hmm. button mashing. takes forever to play, and then it ends in a cutscene, and I don't even get to actually finish the fight. It's like, why did I just spend 10-15 minutes button mashing when it doesn't actually matter? Like, I, I, that, That's how I feel when I play one of those. Whereas a lot of other players, like reviewers, for example, they love that scene because it's a single cut, and it's very cinematic, and... But yeah. for me, it's like I was so disappointed. I almost stopped playing at that point. That's not oh, wow. very far into the game. <laughs> so
0: That's like 15 minutes into it or something. Ex-
1: exactly. So it's, it's like I did finish yeah. it yeah. ultimately because I felt that, that was I had spent my money, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a good point, though. And it's one of those things, like for me, like the thing that really attracted me to the medium was how story could work. How I felt, uh, as I come from a film background, so I always have this... Uh, affinity for story and in, in all forms and i just thought what you know video games are doing interactivity and storytelling like even with cutscenes, scenes i was like i felt more emotionally connected because i was like i feel like i am this this character i am this player i remember playing god of war 2018 i'm actually replaying it right now um so because i want to play ragnarok because i'm a huge god of war fan um but i just wanted to you know refresh myself on it and i was like you know, with that opening scene, I kind of felt the same way. I was like, I wish there was more control. Like the fighting is good. And these, the camera angles, the, you know, like you mentioned like the one cut is great, but it's like every time Kratos would do something in a cutscene scene that was more badass than what I could do when I was playing, I was like, I really wish I could do yeah. that. I really wish I could do that. <laughs> that that's um, exactly
1: it, right? Yeah. You have, you have this super long fight and you've learned all the features and you finally nail it and you don't actually get to, Enjoy it, like like it's, I I it, it's it's something that annoys me, and 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 I mean it's very common in games these days. It's like it's like the authorship part of it becomes so important that the emergence loses, and I think that that is, I mean it's not what I want, and it's yeah. definitely what many customers want, and I I don't, I mean to each
0: their own ultimately. Sure. Sure. I, you know, and I also think about something like um, I don't know if you played uh, Sekiro or in like the From Software games, like uh, Dark Souls. And I did, I
1: did, I did really like Bloodborne, and, Bloodborne. and I, oh. I really, I, yeah, I played Demon Souls quite a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are my two favorites. Especially Bloodborne was like my pandemic game. I like willed my way through it um, hours on end, and uh, yeah, I thought that from like a systemic standpoint was was a really fascinating. Uh, project and every fight just felt so dire. Especially the boss fights are so yeah. well designed, and you really have to figure out these weaknesses and, and just a way to stay alive. Um, and it's so punishing to die. Yeah, yeah. It's like you you can't just go around willy nilly. You have to really <laughs> have a strategy, or it's like severe negative feedback loop uh, kicks you right in the ass.
1: Yeah, and no, no, no. but but I think I think what's very fascinating with the from software games. I mean, part of it is also that they sort of trace their roots back to. Back to Looking Glass mm-hmm. because their first game was, was Kingsfield, which was highly Ultima Underworld inspired. So I mean, they they do have this sort of history of systemics, and I think I think when Demon Sol- Souls came out, and you had. Diegetic abstractions of everything that you would normally have in a lobby menu or something. I, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Like, yeah. like, they, they, they made things immersive that are usually tedious <laughs> with the soapstones and like the invitations to aid and invade and all those features was really, really, really cool. Like, yeah, that part of it was ima- amazing, I think. And also, also the fact that they don't really have like a difficulty. Instead, you're, if, if you feel that it's too hard, you can grind, I mean, you're yeah. you're able to sort of regulate your difficulty level. Um, so, so uh, I mean, is it a hidden trick that you can train to get better? No, but <laughs> yeah. but but it's a, it's I think it's a fascinating game series because usually what people take away from them is that they are hard, but they are just extremely well made. Yeah, it's, it's like, so
0: well made. Um, I yeah. definitely recommend uh, Sakura if you haven't played it. It was like their samurai game they did in uh, I can't remember 2019 or something. And there's no real RPG elements, but it's got that same challenging combat, same challenging bosses, and where you feel like you're just in total control of the action. And the, and the combat's some of the, the best I've ever played in a game, um, where I put such an emphasis on defense and really timing your your parries and, and things like that, where it's like, if you don't do that, you will just get absolutely obliterated. Um, and when you, when you win, when you beat, like, especially when I beat the final boss, I had to kill him four times without dying. And, uh, and his health would just keep regenerating. But that last time, I was like, I almost cried. I was like, this took so long. This took like one hundred and fifty times, but it was so worth it. <laughs> like I don't get that but reward if, from. What, yeah. <laughs> what if? What if you would have
1: the cutscene as you kill it, right? <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. And then it. <laughs> and it wouldn't have
0: mattered. Right, it wouldn't have mattered as much um, because it's like, I mean, I, I was like, I did all of that. I did all of that. Yes. Um, And it it just, those games, I feel like I haven't played Elden Ring yet, but I feel like those games overall just reward the player so much. You feel such satisfaction from, and they, and they don't really help you. Like you were saying, you're thrown into the deep end. You got to figure it out. And I I just love the way they make, they feel like they make games for a completely different decade in terms of like the way they're designed, which I love.
1: I, I think it's I think they're extremely fascinating. Like I have not played all the Dark Souls games because I got kind of bored uh, yeah. with that formula. But 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 that's I mean, I play play a lot of games. So it's like playing the second and third one was kind of they might be absolutely brilliant games. I just don't know because I, sure. I didn't have the patience for it. But but it's a uh, secondary I should I definitely
0: try. Um, it's totally different from I, like there's no RPG stuff, which I'm not a huge RPG fan, so I love that. I was like, all right, I'm just this dude. And I got a samurai sword and let's go. That's, that's pretty much it. Um, and you just learn things along the way about how to like just play the game better. But still brutal, absolutely brutal in terms of, uh, in terms of how it's designed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I, think, I think it's...
1: I, I think the coming 10, 20 years, I don't know how much time. <laughs> I don't know when or anything. But I do think that systemic stuff is definitely coming back. I think, I think people want those kinds of games right now. Yeah. Like even if you look at Roblox and what kids play, like my I have two kids, um, and both of them play a lot of Roblox. The way they interact with games is is kind of different. It's like it's almost like it's a playground, like an extended play, extended reality. And there's so much stuff in Roblox that they can just switch around if they get bored. It's like it's very it's a very different kind of uh, of, of of play. And I think it's fascinating. It's like it's entirely make believe, moving in the social interaction, like. Playing hide and seek, for example, even though it's not even a hide and seek game, and it's very—I think it's very interesting—and that's that's systemics, right? It's what right. it is. They are they are sort of expecting that level of simulation, and pretending it's there even when it's not. Um, so, so I think that people growing up in the coming years, they will they will. Definitely engage with that kind of content. I think. I mean, there's always going to be room for cinematic, of high course. production quality, yeah. cool stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's never going to going to go away. But 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 I mean, Nintendo has always been a very good producer of systemic games, and 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 they are always selling millions of copies. So it's I I, I it sort of blows my mind why why not more people try to engage with systemics?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but I also think that's a good thing that the the industry is so diverse in terms of the offerings. It's like there, is, I I truly believe at this point in terms of where things are, there is actually something for everyone, regardless of what you're interested Definitely. in, which I think is which I think is great.
1: I think the strength the industry has is exactly that, but but I do think that there's an issue with with sort of what the mainstream thinks games should be, and and what they. Can be like a a friend of mine. He he said a thing that I often think about. It's like when you sit down to talk about a game and you talk about, say, camera perspective. You always start using these expressions like first person, third person, whatever it might be. Um, But every time you do that, you sort of eliminate all the all the alternatives. It's like what if you want to do a dueling game, but there's a frog perspective camera thing? Like, like there's no word for that, so you're not going to think about it. Yeah. So so. And I thought that was such an interesting perspective because it's like if, if 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 you switch things around and you try not using those expressions, I mean technically you can do whatever you want with a camera in a game. You have full control over that camera. So you can try things that are never done anywhere else. And that's just the camera. You can it applies to everything. Yeah. So so I, th- I think I think the games Games are such a fascinating medium because we we got stuck sort of mimicking Hollywood <laughs> way too early.
0: Yes. <laughs> like right in like the late 90s, it really, you know, like Metal Gear Solid and uh, Final Fantasy. It's just kind of like, all right, now here comes the Hollywood influence, which I'm more jaded on now. Like that's what, like I said, that's what really got me into into games. I was like, oh man, this is like... Cinema and games together, this is great, but I also think it's limiting for the reasons we talked about. But I also am just searching for like that one game that would be great if you can tell a story fully through interactivity without and I know there are games out there, but I just don't feel like that that do that. But I don't think we've we've hit that point yet where it's like without like cutscenes and stuff and you're just feeling every second, you're doing things every second.
1: Is it to spo- is it okay to spoil a game that's twenty three years old? Sure. <laughs> so in system shock 2 it has one of the most vivid sort of revelations i've ever experienced in a video game like probably my age at the time all those things of course there's other factors Mm -hmm. but but talking to Yanis polito through the game and she's telling you and you're finally going to her office to meet her you walk in there and you find a dead corpse someone who's blown their brains out in in her office and you realize it's her the wall the wall falls down and there's the evil ai that's tricked you all along mm-hmm. and 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 i mean you ne- it's there's no cut scene there's nothing like you're forced to stay in that room absolutely it's kind right. of the half half-life way of restricting you but it's but it's still like one of the most powerful moments i've experienced and the reason is that i was there right um, it wasn't a story told to me, it was a story I experienced. And I think right. I think for me that's that's kind of the crucial thing because I agree with you. I think finding ways to tell stories where where I get to be part of it and not just a, like an observer. I think that mm-hmm. is that is definitely like like the the holy grail in so
0: many ways. Yeah, for sure. I need to play the system shock games because I love the Bioshock games. I know Bioshock one has a very similar ending kind of um to System Shock I th- Two, I think the the difference is the difference but. is
1: that it, yeah, I mean, in System Shock Two, it was personal, right? It was mm-hmm. really like I I felt betrayed, right? <laughs> in in a very tangible way, which was yeah. amazing. Like like it's just so well executed. I mean, frankly, if you play it today, the the scene goes on for way too long, but it's yeah. <laughs> but, but at the time, it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Uh, it, it hasn't aged well. If I'm gonna be honest. And the UI, least of all. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I mean, in Bioshock, I, I always felt like it was. I mean, it's very well written. It's very very well made. It's a good game, but I felt it was kind of underwhelming because I never had a choice. Like the only the only choice I would have against the plot twist would be to turn off the game, basically.
0: Right, right. But I think that's the thing I liked about the most is that you know the commentary and the illusion of control in a game I think was really pretty brilliantly written there. And then to the point where it's like, you know, you have to kill what's his name, Andrew Ryan at the end. And uh, it's like you really had no choice and you thought you had you don't you don't really have any choice at all, Um, which I thought was just a really fascinating way to, to, to write for a game. That was one of the few moments where I was like, oh, wow, this is this is really fascinating to me in terms of in terms of story here.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I was too yated at the time and I was felt, <laughs> look, I didn't have, I, I, I know I didn't have a choice. Why do you have to rub my nose in it, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I said right. I was cynical, didn't I? Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have a similar reaction if I had played it, um, you know, now as opposed to when I played it. I can't remember when I played it. I was like 17 or 18 or something. So at that point, I was like, oh man, yeah. this is so cool. It, it is a good game
1: like, yeah. like I'm, not gonna, I'm I'm not gonna devalue it it's a good game
0: yeah um that actually kind of brings me to an uh, an interesting point uh, Ken Levine the the creator of that I know his new game finally got announced he hasn't made a game in since the, what, Bioshock Infinite in 2013 and uh, I remember he started his own company too and it just took him so long to you know like I said it's, it's almost been 10 years since he's put a game out. And I, I heard it was just a lot of like building things up, tearing things down, starting over narrative, really thinking about you know designing around the narrative as opposed to you know finding the fun. I guess initially, that's what I've heard.
1: I, I saw I saw a presentation. I saw a presentation he did about sort of narrative Legos is the term he used. I think where, where he was talking about sort of having different components interact, and mm-hmm. if you do certain things, and then sort of presenting, simulating the world around the player to get the story across. Fascinating stuff, I think, but 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 I, I actually missed this announcement, so I'll have to check that out after.
0: Yeah, I actually have to look at. I actually haven't looked at it. I just know it got announced. If I need to to watch the video. Uh, it got announced during the the Game Awards. But the uh, the question I have for you is for for someone who is you know starting their own company and working on stuff and um, and whatnot. I mean, I think it's a it's a really kind of a cautionary tale with what he's done <laughs> because I feel like he's. Uh, based on people that have left there, what I've heard is like he kind of alien, you know, he alienated people because they built all these assets, built all these things, and um, then he'd scrap it for the narrative and start the narrative over, and then they build it up again, and then it's like the process kept repeating itself. So, oh, yeah, to the point where it was like it t- literally has t- taken ten years to get <laughs> to get this game to where it can finally actually get you know fully announced. Um, so, what are some things you're thinking about when you're when you're creating now and? Thinking about your, you know, your ten-year plan and whatnot, and making sure you're you're hitting that, so that you can avoid sort of, you know, almost taking too long to get your your vision out there.
1: I, I think I think the the major thing here is that in our team everyone has made games before so we sort of know what the problems will be so we have a pretty good structure for stuff like menus and options and and i mean the the things that you think will not take any time that we know takes time Mm -hmm. we've done most of it because because my co-founder had already run uh, an indie studio for a number of years so a lot of the infrastructure that we know is needed is already there so thinking about stuff like localization or porting or all the practical stuff, because I, I, I know from experience that it eats a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of the 10-year plan, I think I think the big deal there is that we know when we have to release the first game. I can't right. say that now, but we know when we have to release the first game, so we just right. have to adapt sort of. That means we might just do two or three of our build forward systems for the first project. Mm-hmm. But then we know what we wanna do, like how we wanna increase our ambitions for the next project. I, I do think that this is a good way to work if you're primarily technical, because it's it's like a, it's like usually the technology that takes the longest yeah. um, to figure out. But we have sort of done some of the things. That I, I know for a fact that some of my old colleagues will think that stuff we've done is entirely unnecessary and too early. <laughs> But, uh, but I, I actually think of it the other way. Like One, one very clear example is um, automation, like like porting, automation, those kinds of things for consoles or whatever platforms you want to release on. Uh, when I worked with mobile games, a lot of studios, they would have the iOS and Android stuff up and running in a week or two because you know that you have those platforms. Um, so you want them early and you want to see that it works along the way. Uh, and that's something I wanted to do for for our platforms too early on. Um even though some of the stuff that we've sort of, the, the, the process that we've been, been through, a lot of studios will do that in the last six months instead. But I, but I th- believe that the mobile way is just better because then you know, I mean, we know it works on our target platform. And uh, we, we can build the game today. Yeah. And we have automation for stuff that you might actually have to hire people for later if you don't do it early. So that, that's one example. Like, like we, we, sort, of, we sort, of, sort of try to think ahead. Um, and I mean, I, everyone does that, but, <laughs> but, uh, but that's, that's really, I think that's the best answer I have actually. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And that makes sense. Is like, you know, when something's going to release and you know what you need to do in order to make that happen. Um, you're not getting lost. in so I also think it's an interesting thing is I've talked to some people on the show that work for bigger, uh, you know, bigger franchises, like a call of duty and, um, or borderlands and things like that. And they're always, and they always say, you know, the, the narrative is kind of constructed much later on in development. Like we're not really thinking about the narrative, the narrative sort you know, people who are writing yeah. are sort of trying to keep up with us. Whereas I think for Kim Levine studio, it's the other way around where the narrative kind of dictates everything. And in game design, that's, uh, that can be a really, really slippery slope, especially when you're trying to make something that is probably to, uh, the scale that he wants to make something knowing his, knowing his ambition yeah no, it's gonna
1: be fascinating to see, but I, I think for us, I, I do think that narrative, art, everything is supposed to reinforce the player's experience. So right. so for me, I mean narrative, if we're talking about dialogue or cutscenes or what, whatever form of narrative we might be talking about, I think all of it is gonna to have to reinforce the game and and, and this yeah. is a big thing for me um, because I think for example, dialogue, Works best when it's feedback, like like responses to what you are doing in some way. Uh, there was a talk I saw once where by Robin Hunick, and she was talking about um, sort of dynamics versus uh, fidelity, mm-hmm. uh, where like, like fidelity for visual fidelity and and how many games like the more we push one of them, the harder it gets to improve the other. Like so, with very high visual quality, making interaction more dynamic is much harder because. For example, voice uh, voice animations or those kinds of things, uncanny valley happens because you it's a very super realistic model, but you see that something is off with it. Yeah, yeah. So so do, so doing like a very detailed dialogue system when you have super realistic characters is actually pretty hard. So so uh, I, that was also fascinating because I think uh, one 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 thing she mentioned is why why don't characters. In a, in a simulated world, react more to what you do. Like, if you press the wrong button, you manage to throw your gun away or something. Why don't someone comment?
0: Yeah, it breaks immersion when like the environment around you doesn't react the way you would expect it to. Exactly. And, and for me, like one of the worst things I know
1: uh, when dialogue is not responsive, it's trying to tell me things. It's nag lines of different kinds. Like, no, I think we should go through this door. Maybe we should open this door. Maybe the red door is important. You know those lines, right? I hate them. It's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's look, I'm going to find the door because it's literally the only place I can go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That that was happening to me the other day with, uh, with God of War 2018. Uh, the, the the Treyas was like, dad, we can go over this bridge over here. It's over here. And I was like, Oh yeah. It's also like, let me figure it out. I'd I'd rather figure it out than have someone tell me. And also I'm Kratos. Like the kid shouldn't know more (laughs) than me, you know? Well, you're an old man. I'm an old man, yeah. You know, you know, who knows how old he is at this <laughs> point? It looks like he's pushing 50. But it is a weird thing with like how to really make dialogue work in a game and story work in a game. I still feel like it's that nut that has never been fully cracked the way that it, that it can. I feel like it's just such an interesting... An interesting process people try to approach it so many different ways
1: my, my favorite is still like like there's a fantastic talk uh, probably the, the the gdc link i've sent to most people through the years but it's from 2012 it's by elon ruskin it's it's how they did dialogue in left for dead and and it's basically a database system where where you gather context and state in the moment and you send it to the database and you get very specific uh, dialogue back yeah uh based on the context and and that's completely responsive but it works extremely well um and there are some examples of games that do that like one of my favorite memories in in this context was was from thief the deadly shadows of thief three i guess Uh, where i'm i just got my wall climbing gloves the game's replacement for the rope arrow (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then i'm climbing a wall and i fuck up and i land in a lantern light and 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 there's a guard below me and he's like you can't stay up there forever and i'm (laughs) gonna be right here waiting for you and i'm like damn it (laughs) but but it was so so awesome like it reinforced the whole scene it's very specific line and i think that is exactly what dialogue should do it should be very contextual I'm, i'm playing red dead redemption 2 right now and yeah they have their they have a very interesting context system where you select a person and you can choose greet or rob and different kinds of things and the right. line that gets spoken is extremely contextual and 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 it's it's really cool
0: yeah i think they really stepped that up and in, into big time in terms of how you can interact with just random people and people kind of started to react a little more realistically as well to what you were doing which was which was really cool um yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I think I think the first first time I thought about it was actually uh, because I, st- I worked at Starbreeze, I started at Starbreeze when they were doing the darkness, and I pl- one of the first times I played the darkness. There's a, there's some ma- mafiosos you're talking to in the subway, and I'm talking to him. There's dialogue trees and all that stuff, uh, but then I just. I realized I could still control my characters. I stepped away and he's like, Hey, I was talking to you. (laughs) And and, and that reaction, like suddenly I was still playing. Like I was not locked in this stare down dialogue state.
0: Right. It's really easy. I think too. when when something like that happens where you are locked down, it's sort of like your interest starts to wane because you don't, you that that control. You just feel that lack of control at that point. When someone's just talking to you, you're off. Yeah. Yeah. one thing I'm always fascinated with and it sounds like you have some experience with is uh, procedural generation. Can you are you guys working with that at all in this in this new new title?
1: <laughs> procedural generation is one of the most fascinating parts of systemic design, most definitely. Yeah. I think I think the danger you do have is is that sort of, sort of sort of what, what I think my read of sort of the no man's sky, let's call it the controversy when it was released. My read is that you have a super passionate developer be be the mouthpiece for the project and he's talking about sort of the ambitions and what they want to do and a mix of things of what they're doing and what they want to do and like and people sort of try to interpret that and they understood it as they're going to have their own star trek basically and 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 I think that's the danger of procedural generation. I don't think I don't think it's easy to say what we do that is procedural. Mm. But uh, but the simple answer is yes. But yeah. uh, <laughs> but I wanted to have that caveat there because it's like um, you can do this in so many different ways, and and we we have sort of a, an idea where where there's a spectrum. So basically, we can go from having something be generated. Let's say we have crossroads or whatever it might be uh, to being completely authored. So like a set piece right. place that you visit in the game. Mm-hmm. So it's very. Uh, there was there was a great designer the name eludes me right now but uh, she said that um, you should you should always sort of spice your procedural generation with handmade set pieces simply because it will th- make everything seem better
0: mm. how um, do you combine that I think though? that was a great idea yeah how do you combine that though where you do have like the procedural generation but you do have something that is handmade mixed together
1: I mean let's say that you are traveling in some kind of open worldish game, mm-hmm. um, and you're going along a road. I mean, the road will basically look the same. It doesn't actually matter if it turns right or left to you as you're playing. But then maybe you come across like a tower or a or a skyscraper or a or a hovel or whatever it might be, a building, and there's a, a an event there that plays out where someone is throwing out the their spouse and really angry and throwing out the chairs and the luggage after them, and that could be a scripted event in that mm-hmm. procedural environment. So I mean, mm-hmm. that's really what it's about. It's like like having. Proceduralizing the right things is what it's about. Like the, the intersection that turns right or left doesn't matter as much that you can proceduralize, but the events and the behavior of the game that should be more carefully constructed. Yeah. Uh, so uh, basically, like the, the logic we've been talking about is kind of like a Magic the Gathering booster pack. So if you open one, there's going to be one rare card, there's going to be three uncommons, and whatever the statistics are. Um, and that's kind of how it is. Like you might have 11 or 12. Standard intersections, but then there's gonna be a few interesting events and maybe then there's like the the treasure trove or the very special place that you can find
0: yeah, no, I think it's a that's a great way of looking at it and Probably a great way to to go about making it because I think with no man's sky I haven't played it but I've I feel like I have after watching <laughs> way too many videos and <laughs> And things like that because i remember i was excited for it but when it came out. everybody hated it and it was like man, you know this, this really didn't work and then it, i think it's gotten better over the years but i kind of lost interest but i thought like that was just trying to do too much with it whereas i think what um i can't remember their names but the the shadow of mordor developers what they did with um, all the orc bosses in those those games they yeah. made that was a really cool example of it in the sense that you had all these these pieces to play with all these abilities for all the bosses And you just sort of mixed them together and uh, spat out a new one. And, you know, that eventually it started to get a little repetitive because there's only so many combinations you can do. But it was a really, really cool way of of going about it. And it was my first real exposure to procedural generation. I was like, oh, man, this is that kept me going. Like, especially when I first started playing that game, I was like, oh, my God, they're all like different every time. I was I was just totally (laughs) immersed in that.
1: I listened. I listened to a great interview that, that got me thinking too. With the, uh, I think it was one of the developers of the Into the Breach, and and they they were talking about how uh, how they realized that their tools were just easier to use than trying to make a procedural system that generated these tile puzzles, basically mm-hmm. with their mech mm-hmm. game. Uh, so they ended up making hundreds of handmade levels instead of of trying to figure out the proceduralization problem. So. But the effect for the user, like the player, hundreds of levels—they're not going to remember hundreds of levels. Right. For them, it's going to be the same as if it was procedural. So, I mean, sometimes it's really not the right way. Sometimes yeah. it's—it might even actually be more problematic because, I mean, writing code that generates things in a good way is hard, uh, and some things can't be effectively proceduralized. Yeah. So, so it's—it's it's really like like a. It's a complex problem, and I, and I think too often it's just like the, the classic sort of uh, procedural generator is the qu- is a quilting kind of system where you just patch things together, and and then and then you're happy with it. Which like for dungeon dra- generators and the like, and I mean it's fun, it works, and mm-hmm. a lot of games use it very powerfully, but it's also kind of
0: primitive. And really, I mean, I feel like it's a lot like like narrative in a way. I don't think it's there's still so so far people can take it. Um, but I think, no, I think you bring up a really good point about how to utilize it effectively. It's like, don't just make everything procedural, like have something handmade in there to, to make sure it's sort of grounded or else, yeah, it could get out of control. I mean, we were talking to, uh, it's actually our first podcast episode. Um, this, this husband, wife team had made their own company and, um, one's an artist, one's a programmer. And, um, she was talking about how like, yeah, all the levels are pretty much all procedurally generated. And I played uh, I played their demo too, and I was like, "This actually works pretty well." But they they were able to scale down the levels in a way to the point where you didn't really, you know, it felt like they were handmade. So they're they're figuring out a really good way to keep it keep it contained and make sure that it isn't going to break the break the experience. But yeah, I mean, it's I think it's also really easy to you know go no man's sky and just lose your mind with it too. So
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's there's a problem in procedural generation uh, i think uh, the name of the researcher who came up with this term is kate compton and and it's the oatmeal oatmeal problem so basically you can generate 10,000 bowls of oatmeal they're going to be unique like the the grains and the amount of milk and all of it but i mean a player is just going to see a lot of oatmeal yeah and and i, I think that's really the problem uh, that you can see in some of these games I'm, i mean i have not played enough no man's sky to say that it has this problem but but it's like, like it, can you make a gazillion planets? Sure, but what if, I mean, I visit a thousand of them, is it gonna matter?
0: Right, yeah, I would rather have like five kick-ass planets than a thousand so-so planets.
1: Exactly, like it's, I, and th- that's, that's sort of one of our other sort of ideas is that behavior beats content. Uh, like, like mm. having a thousand planets is not as interesting as having a story about when you crashed on one or, or being chased by living asteroids or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, having behavior be interesting and that's, that's, that's like that. That's what you remember. That's what's interesting overall. Like, like it doesn't actually matter if you have a thousand dungeons or a thousand planets, ultimately it's what happens inside them or on them. Yeah.
0: No, well said. And I think that's one thing, you know, when I was younger, I was, I was always upset. It was like, this game's only 10 hours long or whatever. And now I, I <laughs> beg for that because it's like, one, I don't have as much time. Don't play as many games. Two, there's really something to be said about just quality over quantity. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm playing a first person shooter, how many times can I go into a room and get in a firefight with somebody before I'm like, oh, God, I got to do this again. <laughs> how many ways can you mix that up to the point where that stays fresh? um you can only do it so many times I mean, it's be, you
1: know it's been done for 30 years so of, course. Pretty much,
0: of course many ways yeah. apparently <laughs> yeah but i mean like you can do it but it's like i don't need to do that for 25 hours in a, in a single game you know or, or something like that like yeah i mean even just replaying through god of war uh i'm, I'm trying to get you know i know my wife's getting me ragnarok for christmas and i'm like i gotta finish it because i really want to play ragnarok but i'm like damn this is long it's a lot longer than my my, <laughs> my classic god of war which is like eight to ten hours you know and i'm like man alive i like to just this is really fun again but i like to just finish this
1: i, I felt like that when i uh, now started playing Red Dead redemption 2 for the second time it's oh. like All right. Yeah. That's, that's another area that is (laughs) on the map. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So if I ride in this direction, oh, there's even more map over here. It's like, it's a,
0: it's huge. Yeah. Especially two, two is crazy. I I feel like playing a rockstar game is like giving birth for me. Uh, it takes (laughs) me like nine or 10 months to beat like every single one that I actually play. It's, uh, Grand Theft Auto 5 took me like four years. Um, I mean, it's like, wow. Good God, there's just so much. There's so much you can do, and it's so easy to get lost in it. Um,
1: but it's but it's also no. a game like Red Dead Redemption 2, which is the one I have freshest in memories, like mm-hmm. since I'm playing it. But it, it's such a weird game because it's extremely systemic. It has all these very fascinating things you can do, and the, the 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 horse is afraid of snakes, and you have to calm it down, and there's like there's so much stuff going on. But then yeah. the mission kicks 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 on, right? It starts. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, one of them I was playing, I was supposed to stake out someplace or attack someplace, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And I was um, I saw a hill, and I was walking over to that hill, and then the mission just fails. Like you huh. walk too far away or something. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I'm like, what, what? <laughs> like you, have, you have this fantastic systemic game, and I love so many of their systems. But But when it's mission time, it's like it's just a different game. Like we're playing make-believe in this area right
0: now. Yeah. Yeah, That's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, I I can think of, uh, in red dead one, you couldn't swim. And I remember I, I walked into the water once by accident and I was like up to my knees and then it was just like dead. And I was like, wait, what? What I didn't even like a chance to drown and I'm dead. Um, but yeah, I never really thought about like that. It it is kind of like, um, you know, one of my favorite interactions in two is, you know, these legendary animals, I'll never forget the Bull yeah. Gator. I don't know if you've you've played you've seen that one yet. Not yet. Oh my God. It's like the biggest alligator you've ever seen. It's absolutely terrifying. It's so much fun. And it's a side thing, right? It's not like a, a mission. But I mean those those all those uh, events are just so intense and so fun. And the missions are good too, but they're very much more like scripted sort of set pieces. You don't really have the freedom to do what you can do in the in the open world. It'd be really cool if they could figure out some way to sort of marry that. Together,
1: yeah, I was I was listening to an interview I think with Todd Howard from from uh, from Bethesda, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was talking about that the, they want their games in their games, like when you're playing a mission, every all of the simulation is still running. They don't turn it off, so mm-hmm. weird mm-hmm. things can still happen when you're playing a mission, for example. Yeah, and it, it it really got me thinking about sort of the the games I did play in the '90s, like Ultima, for example, Ultima Seven, and those games. Because that was basically a world simulation, like like it, it didn't really care. Like it had a story and all those things, absolutely, and that was what is what it was about. But it was mostly a world simulation. You could just, I don't know, you could bake some bread, you can do like just random shit. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I think that that is so, so fascinating because it's like it goes back to, to what what got me excited about video games when I was a kid, like like. Uh, and 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 Red Reddit Redemption and some of these games they almost have it. <laughs> yeah, very close. So it's uh, it's fascinating. Like like I I read a really interesting. Sorry if I interrupted you. By the way. Oh no, please. No, I, I read a very interesting. Uh, I think it was Reddit thread or something like it or a forum post something. But it was someone complaining about Ultima 7, specifically, which is one of my favorite games of all time, mm-hmm. and 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 i realized why but because this was a, a, a much younger person than myself who was playing who was playing ultima 7 and they were so annoyed because they just kept filling their backpack with stuff and and they didn't need that stuff like why do i need a seven Candelabras or whatever it might be and i realized that that's because they're playing it with a modern mindset if you play cyberpunk 2077 you you're going to vacuum clean the environment of anything that's not i don't know that's interactive mm-hmm. because that's how you play modern RPG but in ultima 7 everything has its place like like i don't need a candelabra if i don't need light i don't i'm not going to pick up this bucket unless i need to transport water in it right, right?
0: so you just picked up and, too many and, and things exa- cuz yeah no, i got it exa-
1: yeah. exactly <laughs> so, so suddenly suddenly you're playing you're yeah. playing an old game that is world simulation and you're playing right. it by vacuum cleaning it of loot which is going to be everything that that's not soon shut
0: yeah well that's really that's really interesting to me because that's that just says so much about how we interpret games um and how we think games should be designed. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's really fascinating to me. So,
1: I, I love that thread because it was like a lot of people agreeing and some people suggesting how you could organize your backpack and things like that. So it was very constructive. It was not it was not complaints ultimately. Sure. It was very yeah. constructive. So so I actually really liked it because I, I realized that it's it's basically two entirely different philosophies. Like, yeah. if you do the world simulation thing, then you have to understand everything's place in the world simulation. Uh, but if you're doing the sort of modern RPG, vacuum cleaning, crafting kind of thing, then then those two are just not compatible at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that says so much about just like, just how our experiences just inform our expectations. Um, Definitely. Definitely. God, it's so cool. That's that's a really cool. <laughs> that sounds like a cool thread. <laughs> sounds like a really cool thread. And I'd be interested to go and because I haven't I haven't played that uh, game either, Ultima Seven. So I, I'd be interested to see like what would I think about that. What would be my expectations going into that, knowing that it's it's made in a different era, would probably inform. And obviously, talking about this would inform <laughs> what I think about it. But how would I react to it? Would I think that's good design, or would I think, oh, no, I don't like this. Um, just because of what I'm used to and what I'm not used to, fascinating. It
1: is. I, th- I think. I think uh, in a way, I, I really like those kinds of world simulation games. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that it's something I do miss to an extent, but it's also like Zelda Breath of the Wild. That's sh- that's a game that shows you how you can do that in a modern context. Like like it really works like a mix of the modern and the old. I think it's
0: it's a fascinating game. One of my favorite games in recent years. Yeah, it's a really... I mean, I haven't played it. I've I've watched my wife play it enough over the last few years to really get a sense of it. She's a huge Zelda fan. I just remember, like, every time I watch it, though, something new is already always happening. There's always something yeah. new that she's doing. There's some, like... And it's not even, like, uh, any of, like, the story-based stuff. It's just her exploring. I've never seen some of the things that happen in that open world and other open world games uh, in terms of the variance, in terms of what can happen, in terms of how you can get out of a situation... Uh, especially with that uh, hang glider thing, I mean, I was like, "Damn, I have to start playing this." This is uh, <coughs> this is really cool.
1: I think it's I think it's well worth playing, and especially from the perspective of systemics, because it's very like I'm a broken record, apparently. But but yeah, systemics, systemics. I think we're just gonna call uh, this episode it's systemics. The th- it's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I should of course mention like a lot of people talk about immersive sims, for example. Yeah. Um, it's it's, a, it's almost like a, a fad to talk about immersive sims but I think the danger there is that you you typically sort of you boil them down to a specific set of features depending on your preferences so if you're a huge Deus Ex fan it's going to be like Deus Ex if you're a huge Thief fan it's going to be like Thief and I think that, that that basically sounds like okay it has to be first person it has to have um, stealth and it has to have one be the first code you use <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah 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 <laughs> um and and i mean i mean i, I and i think that that's the, like the sh- shallow boring part like the simulation aspects of it and the the developers as designers and those things that made those games what they were that i think that's that's the cool part of it that's was i mean how it was made is, is yeah. a huge part of it
0: yeah so you're you're in your I guess you're going, this is the first year of, of your 10-year plan. So what does is, what is success look like <laughs> for you guys getting into your second year? I mean, I, we have
1: actually finished all the goals we had for this year, and we've finished before the end of the year. Uh, we've done a lot more than we had anticipated. We have basically, I mean, we, we have a running start going into the second year. Um, so what we need to do is we need to find an architecture, we need to ramp up for producing and shipping the game uh, that's that's what we need to do next but that's that's a process <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm really i'm really looking forward to the next year like like I've, I've i've worked with games since for 16 years like i said but we started off this year saying this is the first time we make games like right we we have worked on games before but now we make games
0: I yeah, it uh,
1: sounds like a tiny difference,
0: but yeah, <laughs> no, it's a huge difference. I think, you know, it's it's like that shot in the arm that you need. I mean, I, I, I relate to that as someone who creates things and um, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not really making games anymore. But, you know, from a music and film standpoint, uh, sort of the, the side stuff I do. And it's like when you're actually doing it for yourself. Um, it just, it's such a big, big difference than, than working on someone else's project. Um, you feel like you have that, that ownership and it really does motivate you more than, than anything else. I think if you are a creative person, so, I mean, I I totally, totally get it. And I think that's awesome that you're, that you're doing that and that you have that enthusiasm 16 years later that like, this is like the, this big (laughs) shot in the arm here. I think that's, that's wonderful.
1: I think, I think there's, there's two ways. If, if I look at this, the people I've talked to in the recent year, trying to hire and so on, um, there's, there's two branches you can you can end up in, right? Or three, technically. But the, the third one is that you leave the industry. Right. But, but <laughs> in the industry. So there's two branches. One of them would be you get yaded, you're bored, it's just a job, you work yeah. your eight hours, you go home, you, you mm-hmm. hang out with your family, you, you're passionate about something else in life than work. Uh, and the other is that you retain the passion and, and with <laughs> much or little cynicism, you sort of just try to find the next challenge, uh, whatever that might be. It might be a new position at your job. It might be a new project, a new company, something else. Um, but for me, it's always been like making games
0: with people I really trust and like working with and who believe in the same things I believe in. That's awesome. And um, yeah, Martin, thanks so much for for stopping by and talking to us. And uh, really, really enjoyed getting cynical with you. And uh, <laughs> wish, <laughs> wish you best of luck in the new year, and hope you you, you keep on keeping on with this this ten year plan, and and get get yourself an art director, and bring this bring this puppy home.
1: I hope so too. <laughs> and thank <laughs> you. So this this was like a casual conversation about games. That's yeah, love it any time of the day, right? <laughs> yeah, fantastic.
0: All right. That's going to wrap up our show for this week. We want to thank Martin again for being our guest. To find out more about Mudstack, head over to mudstack.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and join our community on Discord. And of course, we want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Clear as Mud.